Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. It's Tuesday, where you're going to hear a powerful testimony of God's grace revealed in human lives. Each Tuesday, you'll hear Pastor Adam interviewing pastors from around the world to share the mighty miracles that God has done in their lives to give you hope for yours. We share the stories of the men behind the messages you hear every other day on this podcast. Keep in mind that the free version only includes a portion of the whole testimony interview. To listen to the full version, use the links in the show notes to subscribe via Apple Podcasts or Supercast.tech. Every dollar goes to supporting world evangelism. Enjoy today's Testimony Tuesday. All right, we are back for Testimony Tuesday of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Sermon Podcast. It's Pastor Adam here with you again. It's so glad that you are here as a listener. We want to thank all of our premium subscribers who have access to the video version of this testimony. And we want to uh, especially give a very, very warm welcome to a dear friend, uh, uh, old-timer of the Chandler Church, faithful saint, man of God, what can you say? He's a musician, he's a founder, he's a leader, he's a grandpa, he is uh, hes the guy who has always given me a warm welcome every time I come back to the Chandler Church. It's Mr. George Rose. Welcome. For those, of th- those who don't know you, I-, I want to properly introduce you. Uh, you are, um, I think, if I'm not mistaken, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think you are the oldest not oldest in age, but oldest as far as how long you've been a member of the Chandler Church. Is there anybody else who's been going there longer than you? Well, Margie got saved before me, but she was gone for about 12 years. So continuously, uh, there's no one been in the Chandler Church longer than me. And give us the figure. How many years is that? December 19th, that'll be 45 years. 45 years. Now that is not nothing. (laughs) I heard the double negative there. I caught it. <laughs> well, Mr. Rose, I thought it would be very uh, enlightening to bring you onto the podcast, and we want to um, we want to just hear you, you know your story, which is so intertwined with the foundation of the Chandler Church and Pastor Campbell's ministry, and and all of the pastors who uh, and and you know people who are going to hear this across the fellowship, and um, you know that it, it's. You know, I, I, I love you, George, and your testimony. We're going to hear that today. But it, it's so much more than that It because you are, are representative of so many faithful people in churches all across the fellowship who maybe don't always get the limelight. You know, who you're not going to get your name on a flyer anytime soon that I know of. But, but you know, you, are, you and many people like you are salt-of-the-earth believers who— uphold and support everything that God is doing in our fellowship. And so, you know, we I wanted to do this because as a way of saying thank you to you and your incredible testimony. So I just want to start by saying how much uh, I and many others appreciate you and, and you know, your faithfulness over the years. Well, uh, so tell us, George, uh, where did you grow up? What was your family life like, your background, and, and how did you become who you are? Well, I was born in Rochester, New York, on October 31st, 1952. I think Queen Elizabeth had just been crowned, and Mr. Potato Head made his debut, and they first came out with the Corvette. 
So a lot of things happened that year. I think that's also when they came out with the polio vaccine. So in the midst of a world that had experienced some kind of exciting things, I came into it. Um, uh, my, my parents were pretty immoral. I still remember as a small child, my, my grandmother and my mother fighting, saying, Cookie, what are you doing bringing these men home? Shut up, Ma. I'm a grown woman. You're a married woman, Cookie. You got nobody that's bringing these men home. And so I was raised that by my grandmother when I was five years old. My sister was six. My father came home. He uh, packed our suitcase, put it in the car, put us in the car, drove to the children's shelter, uh, unloaded our suitcase, unloaded us, rang the bell by the door, and got in the car and drove away. I didn't see him again until I was 14, and my mother, who was busy entertaining lots of different gentlemen, uh, didn't bother coming around for about eight months or so. Uh, we went for a trial visit with her and her then-living lover, and he said, get these kids out of here, either they go or I go. So I've faced a lot of rejection in my life. Even Wow. That's what you call a troubled childhood. It was kind of, at uh, any rate, so uh, uh, my, my parents, Rosalie and Clarence Rose, um, who raised me, uh, Rosalie worked with Cookie, and uh, Cookie says, you want my kids, Rose? I got no, no use for them. And so we went for a trial visit with them, and their home was peaceful and orderly and clean, and it was like there was a lot of screaming and fighting and stuff going on. So we fell in love with them immediately, and um, the next day they they went and got us from foster care and took us, and we were their children from then until um, till the day they died. Wow, wow. So it was uh, how many of children were there in your family besides you? Well, my sister Linda, and I do have uh, six half brothers and sisters. My natural mother ended up having some more children, and. So, yeah. Rochester, New York. And so 1952. And so you would have been coming to age in a very uh, turbulent and uh, traumatic time in the nation's history. So tell us what that was like. Well, let's see. Uh, I graduated high school in 1970. We were in the middle of the Vietnam conflict. Um, I know I was terrified. I didn't want to get drafted because I knew people came home in body bags, which is not how you want to come home. And uh, I remember that uh, had I been born one day later, I would have been number six on the uh, <laughs> on the draft my year. So I ended up being like 340, 240 or something like that. So I, I didn't get drafted. But I'd met my wife when I was 15 at summer church camp on the uh, banks of uh, Lake Ontario. I just got ditched by this girl from Maine that I thought was god-awful cute. Sorry, that's how guys think. And uh, just contemplating life in another level of rejection because it seemed to be like one of those things that was served up regularly in great heaping portions. Mm -hmm. And I hear the scramble come up the rise beside me and I turn and it's this girl and it's like, this doesn't happen in my universe. And she's kind of breathless and she looks at me and she says, I couldn't help but notice that you were alone. I didn't see your girlfriend with you. And I thought, uh, okay. And I said, well, she's not my girlfriend. In fact, I don't have one. Her face lit up. And she said, well, in that case, uh, can I have you? And most guys would just say yes, me. I looked at my watch. I said, if no one claimed me in five minutes, I'm yours. Five minutes came and went. She lived in Pennsylvania. I lived in New York. We wrote back and forth three and a half years. Third time we got together, we got married. Wow. Married at 18? Yes. Wow. Had our first child before we turned 19. That's that's pretty heavy. <laughs> so 39 years, 28 days, 17 hours and 43 minutes, give or take a few. I lost her 11 years ago to cancer. So, 
Wow. It was a toy wow. love affair and it was with my wife. Amen. Amen. Well, well, we'll get to a little bit more of that. I, I wanted to ask you about spiritual background as well. What kind of uh, what kind of heritage of faith did you have in your life? Well, my mother was the Sunday school superintendent of the Presbyterian Church, and she's a good moral woman. And, you know, given that, she uh, she would read her Bible and, and things like that. And she's sitting in a rocking chair in the living room. It's a small house, and I'm kind of in the shadows. She doesn't know I'm there. And she's reading the Bible where it says, except you repent, you shall also likewise perish. And God, by the Holy Ghost, quickened that to her. Because the Bible says God watches over his word to perform it. And she starts weeping softly. And she said, God, I've never told you I was sorry for the things I've done wrong. I, I've always thought of myself as a good person. And in that moment, she became born again, supernaturally. Well, she started incorporating, you know, sacrifice of Jesus, repentance and things like that in her Sunday school program. And they came up to her and they said, Sister Rose, we really appreciate your newfound zeal for the Lord. But we're going to have to ask you and your family to leave. We don't need this slaughterhouse religion here. And so wow. we found ourselves without a church. Because you know what happens when you become born again? The Word of God stops being just a book and it starts being alive and it, it speaks to you and, and things. So... Yeah. So am I am I to uh, accept that she was kicked out of the church for preaching the same message as John the Baptist and Jesus? Yeah. <laughs> wow. They like their liturgy and they like their ceremony. I mean, the Presbytery, it's, uh, I guess it's ruled by old people and I guess old people didn't like. So, but she incorporated, like I said, uh, you know, the blood of Jesus and things like that in, in her Sunday school program. So here it is, we don't have a, a church. My mother suffered from migraines. Um, so bad that she was eating a half a bottle of aspirin a day to the point where her mm. ears were ringing. And so, uh, we're sitting in the same house and it's a, it's a Thursday night. I remember distinctly. And again, I'm in the shadows and she's, she's praying, reading her Bible. And she says, God, if you don't take these headaches, I'm going to take my life. I can't handle them anymore. The following Wednesday, she comes home and says, come on, kids, get dressed. We thought we're going out for fish fry or spaghetti dinner or something, because that's usually what happened when you got dressed up to go out. So where are we going? Church on a Wednesday? <laughs> and it just seemed kind of odd. And so we walked into a four-square church um, there in Rochester. The, uh, the man who invited her wasn't there. The man who was preaching that night was just passing through and just had the pulpit for the evening. And we're kind of freaked out by all the talking, because we came from a Presbyterian background. That's pretty subdued you know must be the guy right. that binds but not necessarily the one that you know breaking the cord so break the chain so so it seemed kind of weird to me all these people you know they're praising god together and and talking in tongues and things and but they seemed to be genuine didn't seem like they were devil worshipers because they were you know like they were genuinely pouring out their hearts before god and so this uh evangelist who had the pulpit for one night he starts preaching and he stops and he says, there's a woman here tonight. This is your first time. And the fact is, you suffer from migraine headaches. In fact, you told God within the week, if you could see the hair on my arm, it's standing up mm. over 50 years later. You told God within the week that if he didn't help you, you're going to take your life. I want you to know, sister, he heard your cry. My mother did not respond. <laughs> I'm wow. back there. I heard her say those words. I know this to be true. And so he goes, okay. So he goes back to preaching. Finally, he stops and says, ma'am, you don't seem to understand. God really wants to help you. 
fact, you're sitting on this side of the church. And I'm thinking, we're sitting on this side of the church. In fact, you're sitting toward the back. And I'm thinking, we're sitting toward the back. In fact, she points to my mother. She points to the person to her left of her. The right of her. No, ma'am, you. Points to the lady. No, ma'am, you. She points to herself. Stand up. He prayed for her. She never had another micro, you know, migraine headache for the rest of her life. That wow. was my introduction to the power of Pentecost and the power of God in a real tangible way. And you were how old? I was about, uh, I want to say 12. Wow. Okay. Well, that seems like it is a memory that sticks out in your mind pretty strongly. You know, and it's, uh, you know, so, I mean, I was saved. I mean, I, I would pray for people. I prayed for a girl that had leukemia. God healed her. Of course, I don't do the healing, but God does. But I know, knew the guy who did, you know. Uh, you know, I preached in other churches as a young man. But, you know, I bought the lie. My generation said it was a tumultuous time. It wasn't just a time of war, but there was, you know, the hippie movement. It was free love and everything. And like most young men, I wanted to get my taste of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Maybe not necessarily in that order, but I was pretty inept about it. And uh, so I found myself um, drifting away from God because I bought the lie of my generation. You know, yeah. it's like no different than today when, you know, people are looking for answers and they, you know, there's no Turkish proverb that says you're never too far down the wrong path to turn back. Mm. And so, anyway, so here it is. Now I've, I've married uh, married my my you know the girl that I met at camp, and uh, and we're we're fighting, and we're we drank too much, smoked too much, cussed too much, and a lot of other things, and it looked like our marriage was really heading south fast. And I, I joined the Air Force, and I came out here, and I drive past this little storefront church with a sign that said, The Door Foursquare Gospel. And God would begin to deal with me about, because I had experienced his love, his mercy, his power, his grace. I knew it firsthand. I just gotten so far away from him that if he came up and slapped me, I wouldn't have recognized him. Mm. So what ended up happening is, so I go from Williams Air Force Base, 10 miles to town, I go past this little storefront church. I get tender. I get convicted, get mad, peel out, go around the block and do that five or six times and head back to base. And I'm doing that three or four times a month. So uh, for those who go pastor, put a schedule services on your building. I would have gone months earlier had there been one. Yeah. So anyway, so I didn't want my marriage to fail because like I said, I came from a, a broken childhood and I didn't want to be that kind of man. I wanted to have a family that that was intact and that, you know, would be good. You know, you know, nobody says I do looking for divorce court. Not that I'm aware of anyhow, you know? And so here it is. Um, it got to be right around Christmas time, December 19th, 1976. And this little voice said, all your kids know about Christmas is Santa Claus. And I thought, you know, I might be lost and going to hell, but my kids are going to have a chance to hear about Jesus. Now, you know, Jenny and George, my oldest, and of course, you know, you know, Aaron and, and Sarah, Sarah, my daughter, just went out with her husband, Philip, to go start a church in, in St. Charles, Missouri. But so anyway, so I thought, you know, you know, I'm going to go. And so I thought they'd have all the kids dressed in their mama's best tablecloths and somebody's doll baby in a laundry basket. And I was going to point and say, there's baby Jesus and take care of this terrible feeling I had. But instead, they had a preacher. His name was Don McCamish. And um, and I, I got stepped in in the middle of a revival. And so I don't remember what he preached, but I remember what God preached. It was like God took that bright light of the gospel and shone the dark recesses of my heart where all the ugly things lived, all the things I'd done that were secret, that were, you know, frequently not right. And I knew I deserved hell, and then he had every right to send me there. And uh, 
I cried out for mercy, and he heard me. Adam, you ever carry something so long that it feels like it's part of you and you don't realize how heavy it was until you put it down? Mm. That's the way my sin was in my life. I'd carried it for so long, it, I thought it was part of me. But I remember the moment I got saved, it was so liberating. It was so powerful. It was, you know. And I can imagine for a kid who has experienced rejection so much and so often like you did, to be accepted by the Holy God was... Uh, uh, I mean, I, I I have a sense of that myself. Especially after right. walking away as a teenager, you know, when I should have known better. You know, it's like, uh, yeah. So, you, you know, they, they say... So it makes the makes the acceptance of God really, really uh, valuable, right? Oh, absolutely. I tell people, remember where God found you. It'll keep you humble. It'll keep you grateful. Give you patience and grace for other people. And the year was? 1976. I'm coming up. 1976. 45, 19th of next month. Man. Sad. Coming up soon here. By the time people hear this, it'll be right around that time. 45 years in Jesus. And so um, so tell us what happened next. How did your life change? Well, it's it was like a regular, it was a regular miracle, you know. So it's like I felt clean. I felt, uh, you know, I mean, uh, I felt whole. I, was, I had joy and stuff. I remember I went home. I had a... China buffet cabinet full of liquor. Uh, I was a cheap center. Pastor Campbell talked about, how many of you spent your paychecks? Nah, I was kind of a responsible center. <laughs> Out on the Air Force Base, they had these pilots who wanted to fly private aircraft on the weekends, but they had to have an FAA medical certificate. So we'd do the physical, but the payment was a bottle of poison. And the doctor would get one, the tech would get one. So we had lots of physicals and lots of booze. <laughs> so I probably had 25 or 30 bottles if I had one, and that's not an exaggeration. And I got home, and I got this dumb grin on my face, and I started pouring it out. My wife goes, what are you doing? I said, I don't need this anymore. She goes, well, I do. And I said, no, you don't. I kept on. <laughs> the next day, I you know, went to cuss, and it felt strange in my mouth because it's like the Bible says, to as many as receive him, to them he gives the power to become the sons of God. God had taken up residence in my life and had changed me fundamentally from the inside out it's like before your girls were born you couldn't hold them you couldn't love them you couldn't teach them you couldn't communicate with them but once they were born they got all the benefits that you and Taya could bring to the table it's the same way when we're born again before we're born again we may know be aware of God but we don't know him in a way that brings all of heaven to bear in our circumstances not to say everything in life is going to be hunky-dory but that's when we need them most, when when we go right. through those things that are trying. So, so like I said, so the next day it felt strange in my mouth. So it's like God delivered me from cussing. It took a few weeks for me to quit smoking. It's like I I really loved movies, and they would have movies I couldn't afford to go see on Wednesday night at the movies on Wednesday night. <laughs> and, You're right, right. And it's like I'm like the Poseidon Adventure, Earthquake, The Towering Inferno. I mean, these were blockbuster movies. And, but there was church tonight, and every time I went to church, it seemed like God was speaking to me, like somebody's reading my mail and telling pastor, you know, you know, because right. he's, right. he's ministering, and it's things I needed to hear in my life and stuff. And um, But the funny thing is, so the next Sunday, I tell my wife, Frances, I say, come on, get dressed, we're going to church. I'm not going back to that church. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. And I picked her up kicking and screaming in her pajamas. I threw her over my shoulder. I started out the door. 
And she goes, all right, all right, I'll go. Just let me get dressed. <laughs> Today they would arrest me for spousal abduction or at least hurting her feelings or something, right? Right. So she, she came with me. And like I said, so, um, you know, she did everything we did. You know, she did all the doing things, you know. I remember it was about a year and a half after uh, I got saved. She comes home and just kind of irritated. She's got a burn in her saddle. And it's like she starts slamming cabinet doors and drawers and things, you know. And it's like... Finally, she turns, how come I don't have the same peace and joy those people have? I do the same things they do. It was true. She did. And I said, I don't know. I couldn't imagine sitting through the same sermons that I had that so transformed my life each and every service and, and got down in the parts that were like ugly. And it's like, okay, we're going to do some surgery here this week. <laughs> you know? Wow. Yeah. And so, but I couldn't imagine listening to those same sermons and not, not getting saved. But we had a pretty... Pretty colored past. We 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 had a lot of things we you know you don't discuss that were you know and she really thought I guess that God couldn't forgive her. Uh, she'd done too many things wrong. And so what happened? I said, I don't know, honey. Why don't you go in the room and close the door, start reading your Bible and pray, and stay there till till God touches you. I mean, you know, just sequester yourself and don't you know. If it's mealtime, we'll figure it out out here. You know, you just stay there. And I'm the sappy one. You know that. And she was very stoic because her mother beat it out of the children. And so about five, six minutes later, I hear this soft, soft weeping. that grew to this great crescendo, this deep moaning sob from her heart. And I just left her be in there. And she's in there about 20 minutes, a half an hour. And she comes out, mascara running down her face. And I said, what happened? She said, well, God gave me this vision of Jesus hanging on the cross. Mm. And he looked at me with a crown of thorns dug deep into his brow. And he looked at me through blood-stained eyes. And he saw through me, he saw everything I had ever done. But he didn't look at me with condemnation, but with compassion and love despite everything I'd done. And she said a single drop of blood fell from his brow landed on the top of her head and as it covered her, it cleansed her. And when it was done, it dripped off her toe just as pure and clean as it was when it began. And from that moment, she was a changed woman. She was still wow. a pistol, but she was a changed woman. And um, so I literally carried my wife kicking and screaming into the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> and so you said... That was how long after you had first got saved? About a year and a half. Okay. So you mentioned that you came in to the church when it was right in the middle of a revival. I want, I'd like to hear what was the atmosphere of the church like? What was happening around you? Well, it was a tiny little church. It was only 12 people. I mean, it seemed insignificant and stuff, you know, but I mean, you could feel the Spirit of God in there. You know what I'm saying? I mean, well, I think that that's really important for people to hear because a lot of the pastors and disciples who hear this are from smaller churches. You know, those of us who were saved in the Chandler Church, uh, myself, uh, for example, I, I think the church was probably three, four hundred people or so when I got saved. And, you know, today you go to Chandler, uh, just a normal Sunday morning service is, you know, close to 600 or 700 usually, something like that. And then, of course, we, we show up. Uh, but you, you know what I'm saying? Like, and we all come back to conference and the building is packed out and, and somehow we get it in our head that th this is normal church experience. Um, but you know, w w as, as I've been around for a little while, 
what we what we really should think of is that a normal church is you know probably under a hundred people, <laughs> and many of them are under fifty, and that doesn't always mean that it's an unhealthy church. It just means that that's that's what churches are. And so when you came in with tw- tw- you said twelve other people in the service, twelve people in the Chandler Church, there were twelve churches in the entire fellowship. Wow, wow. We had one international and- work. It was Nogales, Mexico. And you right. can walk there in ten minutes from the border. Yeah, yeah, but but what was how, you said? God was moving there, though, right? Oh yeah. So we were out on the streets, and we got bands. And it was exciting because it's like, you know, now it wasn't just you know uh, the the boy who lights the candles and the preacher and the choir and things, but people are involved, and we're we're having bands and outreaches and and dramas and things, and we're reaching the community, and it seemed like it was a tough road to hope. If you'd like to hear the rest of this sermon, subscribe today. It's only $3 a month when you subscribe at supercast.tech or $4.99 per month when subscribing in Apple Podcasts. Links are in the show notes. We thank you for joining us on this special preview of the VBPH Sermon Podcast. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one. On the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four. Our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe, because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless.